Welcome to Every Dimension. This podcast is created for those buying and selling design. Our aim is to explore how to demand more from design and how to deliver it, as we all need to keep growing brands when tomorrow's challenges and opportunities come in every dimension. Every Dimension is created by the Agency Path and hosted by me, a founder, Thomas Herman. I'm very excited to be joined today by Atoshi George. Atoshi was previously at Unilever for around 10 years and is currently Head of Scientific UK and Ireland at L'Oreal and has been there for about seven years or more. Hello, Atoshi. Hi there, how are you? I'm good, thank you. Good, thank you. Thanks for joining me today. Um, So just before we get into the conversation, I've got a few kind of quick fire questions to try and warm you up. Are you, uh, are you okay with that? Um, I'm ready. So answer uh, one or the other, coffee or tea? Oh, coffee in the morning, tea in the afternoon. Good answer, good answer. Cheese or chocolate? Oh, do you know what? These are going to be these annoying questions where I'm going to answer both. <laughs> Cheese to start, chocolate for dessert. Good stuff, good stuff. Beer or wine? Neither. I'm a cocktails girl, I'm afraid. It's got to be shots or lovely cocktails. I don't drink either beer or wine. Okay, good choice. What's your cocktail of choice? Uh, espresso martini. Mm-hmm. And then what's the shot, go-to shot? Tequila. Yeah, great. <laughs> always I'm a good tequila. Tequila fan too. Uh, mountains or beach? Beach, always. Really? Yeah, sunshine. Favourite beach? Uh I'm I'm not fussy. I'm really just a nice warm weather, some sunshine, some water. We're fine. Mac or PC? Oh, a PC. I'm not I'm I'm not advanced enough for a Mac. It's all right. It's all right. All all, all our listeners are Mac users probably say that you have only alienated half of them. Um, art or science? <laughs> oh, I'm going to be that annoying person again. I'm going to say science is an art. You can't do science without being creative. Good answer. Good answer. Well, then that's good. Good. And um, last but not least, north or south? Oh, south. Yeah. I'm a London girl, so. I know you. <laughs> from london but you studied up north to start with is that right i did i still I, I love manchester it was a brilliant place but i came home yeah it's an um it's, it's an unfair question it's an unfair question <laughs> have i just alienated another half of the listeners well i know we've we've we, we, we've discovered a little bit about you but also that you're uh you know you're very good at um choosing both or or or, or a good alternative great well thanks for that nice warm-up so yeah today we're, we're just really interested to um to talk to you more atoshi we're obviously interested in design as a as a profession and how we can demand more from design and and how design can operate in every dimension so we've got lots of questions to um to pose to you and and have a conversation Uh, but first of all you know we we thought it'd be really good to understand how you got to where you are right now so if you could if you could talk us through that a little bit but perhaps start way way back with your very very first job what, what did you do first and, and how did that move on to where you are now? So for my first job, my first ever job, I actually worked in a sports centre. So I did two things. I was a receptionist at a sports centre and I also used to run the kids club. So I used to 
get paid for basically jumping around on trampolines, playing football, playing cricket, playing whatever I could with kids. And that's what I got paid to do for quite some time. So that was that was quite fun. Not necessarily what led me to my current career path, but it uh, it definitely teaches you how to work with all kinds of people. So I, I did a little bit of research. So I noticed you studied uh, materials science or, or something similar at Manchester. Yeah, so I studied biomedical material science and engineering. So uh, quite quite a new uh, area back then. It wasn't a very well known subject. Yeah, and I, I noticed the mention of three D printing right right way back then is that was that kind of a kind of nascent thing at the time do you know what I, I remember choosing that project and thinking wow this is really futuristic we won't see this in our time and um, I think my project was on inkjet printing of tissue scaffolds so, uh, back then it you know I, I, I make it sound like it was such a long time ago it really wasn't that long ago it was only a couple of years you know um, but it, it it's amazing to think that what we thought was so advanced back then is actually you know very common now you know we are doing inkjet printing of tissue scaffolds and all kinds of things of stents um so the the the, the I suppose the progress in industry and science and design and technology is so fast it's amazing yeah yeah and was that was that sort of sponsored by a by some sort of research or a, a printing company or no, that wasn't wasn't that one. That one was my dissertation project. Um, so I don't I didn't recall it. It might have been part of uh, my my uh, supervisor's project. But that's something that you sort of proactively picked up as a point of interest. Yeah, it was something that you know I chose to do, and the reason I chose it was because it was so new. We had to look at new uh, technology, and that that was what was considered very advanced and futuristic. Great. So sports with kids, studying in Manchester. What did you do after that? So after that, I did a number of things. I didn't have a very linear pathway. So um, I did an engineering degree. So I actually went and worked for an engineering company, worked for the Ministry of Defence for a while. And then I thought, actually, I need to do a graduate training scheme because that was all the rage back then. I think it still is now. So I went into a graduate training scheme with Sainsbury's, did that for a while. And then I realized I kind of missed the science. So then I went back to Unilever. So I did, I actually did my master's project with Unilever. Decided I wanted to go back to Unilever. So I worked in the hair labs um, up in Port Sunlight um, for a while, working, working with them. And, uh, and then I came back to London. Uh, as I said, I'm a southerner at heart. And I worked for the UK business in, in Unilever, working on personal care. So did that for about 10 years while I was there I worked I had the opportunity to work on lots of different projects so I worked on things like on organics I worked on naturals I worked on consumer technical insight so looking at how uh, consumers interacted with products and not not just the efficacy so we'd I'd obviously worked on things like looking at how well the products work so how well it moisturized or how well you know the antiperspirancy worked but then looking at uh, consumer technical insight it was actually how people interacted with the product and how it either made or or broke the the product so super interesting so that's what I did I did a lot of stuff for in terms of communication so uh, working on tv adverts creating claims and so forth and then I suppose my my latest job has been at uh, L'Oreal so one of the biggest companies uh, for for beauty 
So a huge range of products, a huge range of um, clientele as well, doing a lot of the communication and the scientific communication around not just the product, but also the packaging, the process, you know, the whole life cycle of the product. Okay. Okay. Yeah. That's great to hear. Thank you for that. So it, it sounds like, you know, from a, from a sort of scientific training through your graduate schemes you've actually learned all the kind of skills of a of a marketeer within a consumer goods business is, is that sort of fair to say yeah so it's, it's it's a little bit like marketing but it's very much with a scientific focus i think in today's uh communication age it's not enough just to talk about how lovely it is you need some real substance i think that's where um where I suppose me and my team come in and, and how we communicate, we kind of provide our marketeers and our brands with the detail of how they can present their, their products. And it's not just about the formulation. It, you know, like I said, it's also about how people use the products as well. Okay. So, so your, your current role is, is head of science. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, so what, what does that make your remit? Is that, is it, is it to promote science within the business or something else or? So, uh, yes, it's, it's literally everything to do with science. Um, and it's not so much within the business. I predominantly focus on, on, on the outside and bring the outside in and take the inside out. So I take the science that we do within, within, our, you know, in, within our labs, within the our design workshops, and then present that to not just consumers, because actually there's a whole life cycle. You know, we present this to retailers. So why would a retailer want to... Uh, launch another deodorant or another lipstick because they've already got 10 on on their shelves already so what makes ours better different you know better for them maybe from consumer interaction maybe from a sustainability point of view uh, you know all kinds of things so I look at all kinds of communication in terms of the product and the whole product okay okay great Thank you very much. So yeah, really good to understand of, of how you got to where you are now. And and your you mentioned that L'Oreal is one of the biggest sort of personal care or, or, or beauty well-being companies. How how would you describe L'Oreal? Sorry, in, in those terms, a, a personal care company, a beauty company, beauty company. I think uh, yeah, definitely beauty company. Okay, yeah, and is that something that you kind of felt like you seeked out as a role that in that kind of industry? Yeah, do you know what I think? Uh, one of the things about working is that you've got to love what you do so for me I could I could do this job in lots of different areas but actually I wanted to work somewhere where I love the products and I interacted with the products I think that's really important to have that connection with both the product and the people who are buying your products okay okay and um you'd be lucky enough to work at Unilever and L'Oreal both great businesses do you've can you describe the sort of the differences or the similarities between those two businesses? Yeah, so I think um, there's loads of similarities, both huge companies, both with a big focus on their consumers. So at L'Oreal, the, the focus is to make sure that consumers love their products and feel good and, you know, Im- you know improve their day-to-day life. And that's the same with Unilever as well. They, you know, against that making lives better and there's a perception that beauty and personal care is very fluffy but actually when you come down to it it's it's a routine that people do every day in the same way that you might brush your teeth beauty and personal care it's not just fluffy it's actually down to your mental health your core 
sort of life skills, how you present yourself to the world. So it's super important to, I think, both both companies. Both have got a huge, huge focus on um, on innovation. And I think at L'Oreal, bear in mind, I, 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 was, I was with them at different times. Obviously, innovation is very, technical innovation is very, very important right now. And I'm sure that's same, the same for Unilever right now as well. I'm not there, so I couldn't say. Back when I was at Unilever, there was a really big focus on sustainability. Again, it's a big focus at L'Oreal as well. So, you know, all the big companies are really focusing on sustainability. And actually, one of the really interesting things is that sustainability will drive how we design our products and not just the packaging, but how we use the products, how we how we dispose of our products. And that will become a bigger driving factor in the in, in the I'd like to say years, but I'd, I'd go for months ahead of us. Yeah. 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 No, that's a great point. I think that's something we, we have a conversation about in the studio, you know, there's the, that kind of circle of influence, you know, the, the, the need um, to be, to be sustainable or responsible. And then the technology that then will power that, um, you know, sort of enables you to deliver, which then informs the technology and kind of, and, and finances the technology and kind of improves it. And it's sort of a, something we need to be really aware of. So yeah, it's, it's, it's good to know, good to know that. And just a, uh, I thought I'd just um, mention how we met, actually. You you were chairing a, a conference called the beautytrendsconference.com. Shout out to them uh, back in September 2022. And I thought that was a great event. It kind of reinforced some of the things that you mentioned just then, that beauty is 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 a, is a, is a big part of people's lives and well-being is a big part of lives, not just, you know, looking good and so forth, but actually feeling good and, and how it, it kind of supports mental health and all those kind of things. So I thought that was a, a really really good platform to understand that from from our point of view you know potentially working with um brands like yourselves and also the the conversation of the day you know has been around sustainability for so long but then there was a kind of a flex that you know sustainability isn't always the right phrase to use and there was a there was a kind of point of view that responsibility is also something that we should we, we should take on board is, does that make sense to you what, what's your kind of view on that 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 you know I I, I recall that 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 present presented I thought it was a really lovely presentation and, and a really good take on what sustainability is because actually sustainability is such a big word and as consumers we are not sustainable so what can we be as people producing products to be consumed we can be more responsible in the way we um, way we produce our, our products, but also we can also look to design our products in a way that it makes it easy for the consumer to recycle, to know how to recycle or to reuse or do the best thing with the waste that we produce a, a, as an industry. Yeah, absolutely. I think it was, well, I know it was, um, it was Elsie Rutterford from uh, By B that um, presented that that day and, and and mentioned that kind of that kind of point of view and we're hoping to get her on the uh, as a guest soon so um hopefully we can get her kind of point of view on that so thanks it's great to to hear about um yeah, yeah how, how you got to where you are and your on your current role and also the sort of view on beauty and the well-being industry and some of the some of the challenges going forward um i thought i'd like to ask you just some about some of your questions some questions to you about you know your role in the context of design and, and creativity you're called head of science at L'Oreal, but do you consider consider yourself creative? So, I I'd, I'd like to think that I am creative. So yes, I do consider myself creative. I think you have to be if you are looking at 
at science and facts and figures, the way you present that has got to be creative and exciting because you are, I'm basically here to tell a story. If you can't be creative, you can't tell a story. Okay, interesting. So, so part of your role telling a story is kind of selling i suppose selling in the kind of the the, the new thing the innovation the, the project so forth is that is that sort of what you're saying there yeah so that is part of my role creating the need and the explanation for why we have developed something uh, why something's been designed and who it's been designed for is really really important i think one of the things about this role you have to know about your consumers, you've got to be passionate about who you're talking to and you've got to be curious about how they interact with your products. So we often have conversations about how creativity plays out in certain roles. And we said earlier, you know, art versus science or science versus art. And you said science is an art or it's the art of science. I thought that was quite an interesting point of view. Can you can you talk to sort of the what makes what skills someone might have to be good at a role like yours and, and, and what you look for and, and the kind of people that you would like, you know, to join you in your in your industry, in your role? Yeah, so I think for me, the first stage of even coming into my team, what I'd be looking for is someone who's genuinely curious. I think in roles like this, you have to be curious about the people, about the products, about the industry that you're working in. And with that curiosity, will become, become that creativity. So, you know, challenging what's been done before and not necessarily trying to break the mold all the time, but actually understanding, you know what, this is a great solution. We can stick with that or trying to build on what's already there. A lot of what I do is trying to think of new ways to talk about the same thing or new ways to find ways to communicate or to implement something. So it's often about being creative with, what you have and sometimes you don't have enough so you have to build new ideas you've got to break the mold sometimes but sometimes the mold is really good and you can work with what you've got so I think like I said curiosity creativity empathy is really important you have to feel what you're doing and being able to uh, communicate as well so those are some of the key things I'd probably be looking for yeah, and it's probably very similar to to the the people you know we might have in our studio and other design studios around the world. There's, there's something about the the process that we all go through in creating new products and and, and marketing products is yeah having that inqu- in, inquisitive mind to to look for the insights and, and to understand the consumer and the, the need they might have, and then and then to be able to look for the the solutions or look for parts of the solution and be able to connect those together in, in new ways, I suppose. And I, th- I thought that's um, it's interesting um, that you, in- sorry, carry on. So I was going to say one, the thing that you said about uh, having similar needs in the design world. And actually when I do workshops and we're trying to sort of come up with new ideas, I often find people with a design background, not necessarily a scientific background or a chemical background. They're the ones that can bring some grounding and some real, clever ideas that that maybe my scientists wouldn't have thought of before so it's really lovely to get that curious and nature outside of science as well as those inside yeah great great okay well that's a good little segue into my into my next question which was about sort of your your sort of day-to-day or 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 interaction with designers professionally does it is it something that you do regularly do you spend time working with designers internally, externally, briefing agencies? Is it, is it rare or is it common? How, how does it usually come about? So 
in my current day job right now, I spend less time. In my previous jobs, I've spent a lot of time with designers. So I suppose it's a yes and a no for that, that, that question, as with all of my answers. But when I have spent time with designers, it has been when we are working on new projects and new communication. Okay. So, I mean, are you able to talk to a previous experience when, you know, you might have been involved heavily with the design team and, and what the objectives might be and, and some of the challenges and opportunities that you, you got through there? I'm going to talk about a project that I worked on in Unilever a while ago. You might have seen the compressed cans out on the market. And the focus of that project was to reduce the amount of packaging in our deodorants. And the really interesting thing is when we designed the project to start off with, we reduced it by half the size and we had half the packaging. We had it lasted for the same amount of time and it was just as effective as, as a large can. However, when we started putting it into consumers' hands, what we found was it wasn't lasting as long. There was a lot of uh, testing and sort of trying to figure out what was going on. Why weren't these cans lasting? for as long as these these big cans and actually what we realized was it wasn't that the cans weren't lasting it was that the consumers were using the spray for longer and the reason they were using the spray for longer was because they didn't feel the power um, that they normally felt with the original product and therefore they thought they needed to spray for longer which is not how it had been designed in the first place. We designed it. So you know what? If you spray for two seconds with your old can, you spray for two seconds with a new can. But when you um, then put it into a consumer's hands, you, they were like, oh, I haven't got enough out. Therefore, I'll spray for longer. So while con on a consumption level, that would have been great. But the whole point of this project was to reduce the amount of packaging, not, not to get people to use more cans. We had to do a lot of work with the designers in terms of designing the, the valves and, and, and the pumps to make sure that the spray that was coming out was just as forceful as the original. And so that was one, one area where design was, it was really uh, important for the success of the project. Yeah, I remember that project and it was sort of ahead of its time, so to speak, or, you know, one of the, one of the leaders in, in the conversation that we're having now probably 10 years later, I suppose. And, and do, do you feel like that, that, that managed to get to a kind of resolution? Was the, was the, was the packaging kind of resolved? Was the consumer using it in the right way? You tell me, I'm, I'm hoping everyone's been using their pro uh, products now, but yes, I think back then the, the rigor behind the design was, was incredible. So really they spent millions on making sure the design was right to deliver on the sustainability aspect of that product. It wasn't, um, it wasn't about selling more stuff or any of those other things. It had other benefits. So having a smaller can was great because actually you could take that 75 mil can in, you know, in your hand luggage rather than, you know, but that wasn't the focus. So the real focus was making sure the design of the product made sure that the efficacy and the, um, I suppose the value of the product was maintained. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that it was a great project, and and we some of the team at Path were lucky enough to to be involved in 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 the project on that um, a few years ago, and it was yeah great to see because we imagine you know there was the there was design input from industrial designers in you know in terms of how the the actual uh, spray functions the valve functions how the I remember there was some technology in terms of how the propellant would work in a slightly different way 
and then the part that we were involved in was the communication on the pack how do you say this is this is half the size but just as good or do you say you know that it's um double power but in a tiny package in yeah all those all the, all those all those kind of things yeah and it's really interesting isn't it that whilst we as you know representatives of the brands and the business can kind of see the potential you know on on, on cost savings and, and and material savings and co2 savings if ultimately it doesn't fit or make sense to the end consumer the the kind of the challenge is lost really isn't it because we've got to really understand what's the what's the consumer behavior that we can fit to or is the potential to slowly nudge consumer behavior or, or change consumer behavior and, and educate them in a different way you know to, to move things forward so yeah that, that's a great test case yeah i think you know it's credit to the Unilever teams that they're able to work cross discipline with design in, in all its elements we're very aware that you know there's 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 um design works in the form of expression communicating to people and it works in the form of experience you know delivering value to people and you need to try to get those two, two things together so thanks for that i don't know whether you were part of uh, the bit where we'd watch people and see how they use user products so we'd have a one-way mirror where we'd watch how people took the caps off and and looked at they weren't in the shower <laughs> do you know what we, we did we do have those i'm pretty sure we had those too but i, I remember um years ago uh on a links uh, they changed the caps of the links and watching how people figured out how to twist the cap because there were people trying to take the, the the cap off and breaking and it's it, it's super interesting when you um when you look at how you design a product and then how it gets used when it gets taken home because if you don't get the design right, the first thing you'll notice is your consumer complaints will go up and then you won't get that repeat purchase. And, you know, you could have the best product in, in, in the bottle, but if it's not intuitive, if that design isn't quite right, you know, if, if that product fails. I remember uh, working on a, on, on a project where the, the product couldn't get out of the bottle very easily. So you end up with about, you know, 25% left in the bottle. Yep. Um, and that project failed yeah too much waste yeah yeah exactly. too much waste yeah people, you know and people complained uh you know we had a huge number of complaints and they and they were like no you know what we're gonna fix that and that's it's, it's brilliant to hear you say that and i think that's something we forget you know that, that and it's i suppose it's the, the where design and and science you know sort of meet you know you have a hypothesis you put some sort of expression of it together and then you should go out and test it as soon as quick as soon as possible you know to to find out whether you whether you were right and or wrong and and, and really see you know it, it in action in the wild i think some of the best agencies are the ones that move as quickly as possible from insight to getting something in hand of a consumer it's all it's all part of the design thinking process of do learn do again but I, I think the the thing about making something sometimes, and I'm I'm actually sure I've been guilty of this in my past and even today, where we forget that making something isn't just about the end product. There is a whole life cycle from when you get the product into your factory and how how you then mix it and how then you transport it and then what happens when it gets into when it gets to the retailer, for example. I think I don't know whether I mentioned I, I worked um, at, at a big retailer. On the grad scheme, I remember looking at how we, you know, which products would get put on the shelves more quickly and which ones would get left on the side or left on the floor or would have breakage because the shelf trays weren't well designed and, you know, the products would fall off and smash on the floor and that was wasted. 
Oh wow! Just even 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 down to that detail, the the people in store would have sort of favorite products. This is easier, so I'm going to go. And, and you know, I remember I remember there was one product where you would. It was really really hard to open the boxes, so the the product was in the box, and the glue that they used was very good. But if you're in on the shop floor and the glue's too good, and you're trying to stack stuff onto the shelf, you want fast. You don't want to have to break your fingernails, and you know you know hurt yourself opening these boxes you know you want least resistance um and then getting things out if they were tricky tricky or they didn't sit in the trays properly you just get rid of the tray that you know the company always spent money to put this lovely tray into the box but because you couldn't get it out it just it didn't happen and then also sort of down down to looking at the life cycle i think there was a recent asa adjudication where um they were looking that one of the companies hadn't included the disposal of the product and therefore the the ASA adjudication was upheld because it didn't have the full life cycle including disposal of the product so it's you know when you talk about biodegradable or compostable or recyclable you kind of need to know what you've designed in the first place absolutely yeah I mean I think there's a whole other conversation isn't it about you, you talked earlier about working in the sort of claims team and I imagine that was from a sort of efficacy point of view from from well-being but now we're getting claims about yeah end of life and whether whether products are, are greener or not greener and so forth so there's there's lots of a, there's a big conversation about you know avoiding greenwash and being transparent about what we do so that's another thing we need to do as an agency you know we, we we're very much aware of designing experience and expression within kind of challenges and opportunities of, of tomorrow um, and how they come in many dimensions in every dimension. Um, I wonder whether I could just ask you a, a couple of questions about what you think might be the big kind of challenges in your industry, the big opportunities in your industry, and, and, and then how maybe design could, could help tackle those moving forward. So Firstly, what, what do you think the you know the the biggest challenges might be today and tomorrow in your industry? So I think we have touched on this a number of times already today, but I think the biggest challenge we have is looking at the sustainability of our designs. It's it's a big conversation and it's getting bigger and bigger in terms of how do we provide a responsible solution to as a manufacturer we want you to buy more products use more of our stuff but how do we do that responsibly how do we deliver packaging that's exciting that you know is intuitive that is sexy that is fun but also that can be reused recycled have less of an impact on the world around us so I think that is something that pretty much every uh, manufacturer, retailer and consumer is, has got high on their on their agenda. So I think that's where design will change the world. And for us, it's a case of, it's a chicken and egg situation. Do you change what we're doing first or do we change what, what consumers are doing? So we can't change what consumers are doing if we don't give them the opportunity and then start pushing. So it's about having a circular kind of, route to a more sustainable future yeah and I, and I guess that seems to be sometimes the barrier to, to unlocking progress there is, is who moves first is it is is it the consumer behavior or the or the or the brands and the businesses delivering the value have you got a thought on which one needs to move first so i would say 
as as a responsible manufacturer we have to do everything we can and sometimes it is down to us to start the conversation and make it possible and then hopefully consumers will pick up on it and if and it just takes a few consumers to start and then it becomes a habit so you have to encourage the habit and make the habit possible before it becomes a rolling snowball yep yeah no it's it's, it's a good point i've had conversations you know recently with other other marketeers and, and um, marketing businesses you know and, and some are pointing you know that that it's definitely the right thing to do but the, but the consumer's still not driving sustainability as a as a sort of at the point of purchase do you think that's that's fair and and is it still even even that's the case you know as you said it's, it's about brands doing the right thing until the consumer catches up i think um there's a an interesting post on linkedin by an ex-colleague of mine called jamie bernard where he said that sometimes you need the the legislation to come into place for a change to happen and he was talking about uh, gdpr so nothing very sexy sorry jamie <laughs> um but actually it's a fair, fair, fair comment. So do you remember a while ago when the government said, you know what, if you're going to have a plastic bag, you're going to get charged for it. And everyone was up in arms. This was really inconvenient. But actually now, now we're okay with it. And sometimes you need that legislation, the CMA guidance that came through earlier this year, you know, it's inconvenient, but actually it's got everyone thinking about it and talking about it. It's got the industry really, really aware. So while some of us might find, oh, you know what, it's really restrictive, it's really difficult, it's really difficult to talk about the good things we're doing, actually is getting us to think about how we're talking about it and making it clear that, you know, when we talk about being sustainable, what we mean is we're being more sustainable than we were, but not that we are being positively sustainable, because that's a really difficult task to achieve. And the fact that we're breathing and consuming things means that we're not being sustainable just by existing. It's an interesting uh, kind of view, but I think a bit of legislation sometimes helps push the agenda. But I think that as manufacturers, we have we have the ability to put. Yeah, you're right. It's the ability, isn't it? Yeah, and it's and it's if you know, senior senior leaders are driving the agenda, you know, and then that's the the right thing to do. Great. So yeah, I think you've you've definitely talked to the challenges and probably the opportunities in the in the in the same answer and how design can help. So, so that, thanks for that. Yeah. So just on to on to our, our, our kind of closing questions, then, if if that's all right. And this one might be a tricky one. It might be an easy one. Um, but, you know, we're all about understanding challenges and opportunities in every dimension and demanding more from design. You know, if you could wave your magic wand and, and demand that designers deliver a solution to, to any problem, which, which problem might you choose to solve? Wow. That is a uh, that's a life question. That one is. I'm 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 going to go with what we talked about just a second ago, and that's about how do we make packaging more sustainable? How do we communicate what more sustainable is in an honest and truthful way? And how do we design for the future? We've got to look at different um, different ways of providing products to our consumers, and is that packaging or is that something else? Have we become too rich? To be sustainable so one of the things that we you know the fact that we have the uh, the money to buy an extra product before we've finished it and we throw it away when there's a little bit left how do we encourage our consumers and ourselves to be more sustainable 
yeah i guess it's yeah it's something around all of that and and i guess how how could you make responsible consumption more desirable i suppose yeah because consumption desired is driving consumption but how do we make consuming more responsibly more desirable i suppose yeah and i suppose desirability is almost um you know we want more packaging so when you look at your christmas gifting how do you make a nice christmas box that uses less material actually you want a bigger box rather than a small because it looks better so yeah i mean if you could if you could literally this is a magic wand that will do anything so maybe we can make small small is good rather than big <laughs> yeah i think uh one of the things that i did uh when I was at Unilever, I used to look after the gift, the, the gifting process. And on our targets, we had to drive a reduction in waste in one way or another. And I was just like, well, how am I going to do that? I don't make stuff. And actually, in terms of design, we used to work with our designers to um, find ways to reduce the packaging waste in Christmas gifting. And, and one really easy way of doing that was rather than having gift boxes, we had gift like, you know, the boxes were gifts, so they were reusable. So, for example, you'll see that a lot of gift boxes now are, you know, keepsake boxes. So we use a little bit better quality card. So it was then a box that could be reused. So then you're stopping that wastage rather than that. Like, you take the products out and off it goes into the bin. So making the products multi-use, you know, those kinds of things. Absolutely. Fantastic. Good answer. Thank you very much. Well, last two questions. And these are can be on topic or, or slightly off topic yeah just to kind of close maybe some advice for our listeners and you as a as an experienced professional what is the best advice you have received or the kind of mantra that you kind of believe in day to day do you know what um that's a really hard one and uh i, I wish i'd done my homework on that question i had a quite a nice uh i was listening to a podcast and I can't remember who it was from, but this guy was talking about a Buddhist teaching saying, uh, you know, every breath you take, it's a new you. So, uh, you know, in terms of, you know, all the decisions that you've made in the past have been infinite examples of you. Uh, and every time you take a new breath, it's an opportunity to do a little bit more, a little bit better and do the things you were supposed to do. So rather than beating yourself up on what's gone, focus on the future and the now. So, uh, Right now, I think uh, we can we can do better and we can do better for the future. Brilliant. That's a great piece of advice. Yeah. I'm not sure that's exactly the right teaching, but maybe maybe, maybe the right comments on the, on, on the right explanation. Nice one. We pulled that out of the bag. Great. Nice one. Yeah, yeah. And you, you mentioned po a podcast. Do you, do you listen to podcasts? What, what, what are you kind of reading or listening to that you might recommend to our listeners, you know, marketeers or, or designers? What, what, um, what's caught your ear or eyes recently? I'll tell you what, I, uh, I was listening to, I think it was called The Knowledge Project with Shane something. Yeah, we can look it up and put it in the show notes. Yeah. I love uh, Simon Sinek and just in the terms of, uh, I think the power of listening is hugely important, especially when it comes to innovation. It's often, we think it's all about our ideas, but, you know, being observant and listening to what's being said and what's being thought outside of your own box. And often when you're, you're in the industry, you, you kind of think you know everything about lipstick and makeup and deodorant and creams, but when it goes out into the market, you know, when you ask your mum or your friend or your sister, they've got a totally different view to what what you have, what you think is the truth. 
So everyone has an interest. <laughs> yeah, thank you. I think that's a great piece of advice to sort of close on. Yeah, you know, we've got two of these ears and 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 uh, one of these mouths. So yeah, yeah, listening twice as much before you speak is a um, is a is a great piece of advice. Great. Well, um, Atoshi, it's been fantastic to talk to you. Thanks so much for your time. And we will share all of any references that Atoshi's made podcast. And we will look forward to talking to you all again next time. Thank you very much. You have been listening to Every Dimension, brought to you by PATH. Join in the conversation on LinkedIn using the hashtag Every Dimension or on Instagram at WeArePath. For more information on how we design brands better in every dimension, please visit wearepath.com forward slash every dimension. Here you'll find all our other podcasts and 20 years of experience helping brands diagnose opportunities and challenges, then designing identity, experience and innovation to deliver on them. This podcast is created and produced by PATH. If you have enjoyed this podcast, why not leave us a review on Spotify or iTunes? Thank you.